Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you did not repent, or if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, Lord's Love Church. It is great to be with you guys, as always, every week, um, you know, after a long and busy week, uh, to be able to come here uh, and to worship God with you all together. Uh, for those of you who are new with us today, I just want to say welcome. My name is Howard, and I'm the youth pastor at this church. And today, it is my joy and honor to be able to share uh, God's word with you all. And um, we are we just began this new study series on the book of Revelation a few weeks ago, and this is going to go from uh, a few weeks ago till like probably until summer. So it's going to be uh, many, many Sundays, but it's going to be really good uh, Sundays. And so uh, the book is written by uh, John the, uh, the Apostle, uh, to whom Jesus revealed himself to, and Jesus instructed him uh, to write on a scroll what he sees and to send out the letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And just as a quick recap, Revelation is a combination of a letter, apocalyptic, uh, vision and seeing, and prophetic, uh, speaking forth. And John was on the island in Pat Patmos in jail um, where he wrote this letter. And all in all, it is, this letter is all about seeing the present in light of the future. And so just another recap, the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches, and the seven stars are the seven uh, angels uh, are the angels of the seven churches. And just to know, uh, there are actually more than seven uh, churches in Asia Minor. And so then you know now, you may be wondering, well, why uh, does Jesus only want John to write uh, to the seven churches? And the answer is that the seven churches of Asia Minor, the ones that are written here, embody every major issue with which the church has struggled in every age and in every cultural setting. And so that would be a summary of what each different churches would experience. And so Jesus is speaking to the guardian angels of the church. Uh, Ephesus was the first church that Jesus wants John to write to, partly because this is the first church uh, the mail courier would reach after uh, sailing from the island of Patmos. Uh, but the main reason is that he speaks to them first, mostly because Ephesus was the most influential, uh, was most influential of the seven churches. And so it kind of makes sense. Uh, so that's just a quick introduction of um, Revelation. 
Before I start, I just want to pray, so please uh, join me in praying. Heavenly Fathers, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that we get to gather here to worship you um, and, and, and to hear your word. And so I pray for your Holy Spirit right now that your spirit uh, will prepare our hearts to hear your word and your truth and that your spirit will soften our hearts and open it up for us to receive uh, your word and, and to be transformed by your word, your love, and your truth. Uh, so we lift this time up to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When you constantly work without rest, you begin to feel restless, burnt out, or even you lose heart, which causes you to end up doing things or working for the wrong reasons. In my first ever youth ministry internship uh, for, my, for my Bible college course, I was doing it at my old, old home church um, in Kisilano. And so uh, prior to the internship, the church already had a youth intern, but unfortunately she wasn't uh, doing a good job according to the church. Uh, and so they weren't going to extend her contract. So in the end, they hired me uh, to be uh, their youth ministry intern. And me, uh, being young and prideful, thought that after my first two years of Bible college, studying youth ministry, thought that I could change the youth group and make things better. And little did I know, nothing was changed. There's only one thing that was changed, and that was me. I was burnt out by the end of the ministry. I was burnt out from the internship, and it actually made me question more about my calling, because I was like, this is not working. And, then, and so I was burnt out, and, then, and the reason why I was burnt out is because I kept doing, 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 I kept working, but I neglected God in the process. I did not take time to spend time with God and to grow in my own spiritual growth. So all I did was I fed, I fed, I fed, but I never ate and received for myself. And so in hindsight, because I neglected God in that time, it hurt me internally and I was burnt out. Likewise, the church in Ephesus also had a heart issue. You see, they were good that in, in doing a lot and hard, working hard for God and doing things for Him in the service, but they focused too much on their external work that they didn't take care of their own heart. And so in the end, they realized Jesus calls them out and says, you're doing things for the wrong reasons, with the wrong motives. And so because they were too focused externally and didn't take care internally, their heart and their passion for God drifted away. I just want to, before we dive into scripture, I just want to give you a, a quick context and background about Ephesus. Ephesus was a city where people could look on the pageant panorama of Greco-Roman life in all its brilliance. There's always these like great entertainment. Uh, Ephesus was proud to be the home of the worship of the mother goddess Artemis, as the Greeks call her, or Diana, as the Romans call her. Uh, she was the fertility goddess, the embodiment of sexuality and uh, sexuality and the embodiment of sexual lust. And so in 29 BC, Ephesus became one of the centers for the worship of the goddess T. Roma and a center for the cult, uh, emperor cult. And by the time of Revelation's writing, Ephesus had become the center of the Christian movement, the center moving from Jerusalem to Antioch and then to Ephesus. And so again, the believers focused their effort on calling out heretics uh, and fighting against them that they eventually forgot their mandate to love God with all their hearts, and to love one another. So while working hard is good, 
one, be clear, working hard is good. We must also remember to come to Jesus so that we can also take care of our heart, so that we can grow and mature in our faith and to make sure that our heart is, uh, is in the right place. So when it comes to serving God and taking care of our spiritual walk, the big idea is that we must focus on our hearts before we focus on our task. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Oftentimes, we, we think that hard work and busyness means that we're doing the right thing, when in fact, in the long run, we are only hurting ourselves internally. It affects our mind and our heart. When we're doing, actually doing more harm spiritually than good to ourselves if we're constantly working for God, but we're actually neglecting our time for Him. We actually end up serving Him for the wrong reasons. And so, as a result, we must be careful as followers of Jesus in our time in doing things for him, and as well in our time in being with him. We must constantly check our hearts. And so the three points that I will address in this message today is this. The first one is that God sees our busyness. God, more importantly, sees the heart. God has given us the spirit to direct our hearts to the right place. So let's go with the first point, that God sees our busyness. So God sees our hard work and accomplishment. It's not something that he is foreign to him that he doesn't realize. All right? And it's not a bad thing that we work hard, like I said. But it becomes an issue when we, neglect, when we neglect him in the process. And so the, if the church in Ephesus was doing many different ministries for God, but they neglected him. And so let's read uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are, the, these are the words of him, meaning Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. The five churches that have strength all of the seven all begin with the, se- with the session with, I know your deeds. The, the word I know, as you may know, is more than just mere f- knowledge of the facts in this, in this context. But the whole meaning of the I know is the idea of absolute knowledge, that you know know the person. And so the word, wor- the word work, erga in Greek, is more than just good deeds, but it refers to the whole spiritual walk of the believer. And as we see right here in verses 2, I know your deeds, your good work, it is, it is defined by two different words, meaning your hard work and your per- perseverance. So the two come together that equate to good works. And so perseverance, as you may have heard, the definition means either patient waiting, patient endurance or perseverance, or the inner attitude of long-suffering. So to clarify, this is not the type of work as in you work to earn your salvation, but the work as in your obedience and service to God. And it requires hard work, and it requires perseverance. And what Jesus is saying here is that he knows. He knows and sees their hard work and their patient perseverance in defending the Christian faith and doctrine in the midst of the trying circumstances. And if I can highlight, Scripture clearly tells us that when God says that he knows, 
it really means that he knows, right? Psalm 139, verses 1 to 4, it says, You have searched me, O Lord, you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar, familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. So Jesus here knows who they are and their hard work. So what about the church? What do we know about the church and their hard work? Well, first, what they're famous for was they were battling against false teachers and heretics who claimed to be apostles, which is seen in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, in the book of Colossians, in the pastoral epistles, and 1 John. It was actually an ongoing problem in Asia Minor. And so verse 2b, right, after he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, meaning these false teachers, and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Now, here's the issue. Apparently, the heretics acted like wandering missionaries and teachers, went from house to house, uh, uh, from, went to house church to house church, calling themselves apostles, which, in my commentary, if I were to write one, is a gutsy move, all right? And so Paul had warned them in Ephesians chapter, uh, in Acts 20, 29, of, he describes them as the savage wolves who would come in among you and not spare the flock. So it happened there, but then Ephesus, in the end, was known for fighting against these type of people. And so apostles in the early church was used in two ways. The first one is that they were described uh, as, the cho- as the leaders chosen by God for the church. And two, they were described as the church representatives who travel from place to place with complete authority from the sending church. And so if they already know the definition and what the calling is about, they would be able to identify it, whether the people claiming that their apostles are true or false. And in this scenario, they were able to test them and to declare that these guys are false and they do not know what they're saying. And so Jesus, in verse 3, he says, he acknowledges that you have persevered, you have long suffered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And I just want to highlight that the, the, word, the words grown weary in Greek means exhaustion that is caused by hard work. You're tired, you're exhausted that's from working so hard. And so to summarize, the believers in Ephesus have been standing firm uh, uh, in their faith and fighting against heretics, and they have not been feeling exhausted, which seems like a good thing, right? And Jesus sees their effort. But again and again and again, there was still a problem. They did the right things externally, but internally their hearts were not in the right place. They did not do things with the right heart and motive. How do we know? Because... God, more importantly, sees the heart, which is point number two, that God, more importantly, sees the heart. God is the one and only one who ultimately sees our true heart and motive. He knows us more than we know ourselves. From the wisdom literature, Proverbs 16.2 says, All a person's ways seems pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Proverbs 21, verse 2. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. So yes, Ephesus was doing all the right things externally, but on the inside, they fell short. They, they drifted away. And because of that, they forgot, forget their mandate to love God and one another. And so let's go into it. So after Jesus you know, recognizes their hard work, he now enters into calling them out. So verse 4 to 6. Yeah, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had 
First, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and If you do not repent, there we go. I will come to you and remove your lampstand, meaning a church from this place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of a All right. Um, so let's t- talk about the first four. Yet I hold this against you. The I hold this against you. Sorry, guys. We can trust this more. So I hold this against you in the seven letters described the, uh, the spiritual problem, a uh, spiritual and moral problems of the church. And again, it's actually a common thing in Asia Minor. And so for the believers in Ephesus, they were no longer loving God the way that they should be, nor were they speaking out against the heretics with truth and love. And as you know, that truth and love must go side by side. You can't speak truth without love, nor can you love without speaking the truth, which tends to be our culture today, if you have experience, right? We want to respect one another, and so therefore, in order to love them, we don't want to speak truth to them, but it cannot work this way. You got to speak, if you, um, you got to speak truth and love at the same time. It goes hand in hand. But to them, for the church in Ephesus, all they focused on was um, truth and no love at all. And so Jesus then goes into afterwards that, yeah, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. So you have forsaken the love you had at first means that they have abandoned their love for God. As you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind is the first and greatest commandment from Him, from God. And so when you have forsaken the love you had at first means shortly after the conversion, when they first encounter Jesus and they have experienced his love and his grace, they were filled with this passion to love and to honor him and to serve and to to obey him and follow wherever he leads them. They had this passion at first in the first conversion, but then after a while when they kept working, 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 didn't take care of their heart and their spiritual growth, eventually that fell through. And so... This is what Jesus is saying. Well, now you're, you've been so far away that your enthusiasm and, and your, your passion for the Christian life is gone. So again, the Ephesus had lost their real heart and purpose. And this is important to know. Question I want to ask you guys this morning is this. What does it look like, right, when we, when we connect with this passage? What does it look like? to lose your heart or passion for in something. When you first had a heart and passion for your work, serving in a church ministry or, or a hobby or whatever it is, what does it look like when you lose your heart in doing those things? And how does it feel? Could it be that the work, task, and the hobby or activity you were once passionate about doesn't feel life-giving anymore? Could it be that to lose your heart means that no matter how hard you work, you still feel empty on the inside? Or lastly, could it be that to lose your heart means you are burnt out? 
to clarify the meaning of burnt out, I got this quote from Jonathan Pogluda uh, in Right Now Media video, and he says this about burnt out. Burnt out doesn't happen when new things get old. Burnt out happens when we're doing things for the wrong reasons. Burnt out happens when our eyes are focused on the wrong goal. Burnt out happens when your day-to-day -day life mundane, but you expect it to be magnificent. A lot of people believe burnt out is a job issue. It's not. Burnt out is not a job issue. It's a heart issue. It happens to anyone whose heart begins to drift and whose eyes have started to wander. So the point, again, is when you're focused on your task too much, whether it's in your vocational work or serving outside of church or in the church in the different ministries, even if it's good, but you are neglecting God in your own spiritual life, you eventually lose your heart and you lose your main motive and you lose your focus and reason why you even serve him at first. And so our passion and our desire drift away and it's no longer in Jesus alone. And so if our priorities shift, so does our hearts. If our heart is not taken care of or restored through spending time with Jesus, we begin to serve out of resentment. So Jesus, after calling them out, and this is what I love about Jesus, now he offers them an opportunity to change. Right? Verse 5, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So the word consider also means remember. So what Jesus means is to remember how far you have gone astray from when you first began your Christian faith. Look how far you are now that you have fallen so far away. And the truth is this. I, maybe some of you guys might not like this when Jesus calls us out, but I want to speak this truth that when Jesus calls us out, it is because he loves us so much that he wants us to be restored. That's why he called the believers in Ephesus out because he actually loves them so much and he wants them to be restored. As a result, repentance is an opportunity given by the love and the grace of Jesus for, to turn away from our sins and to turn towards him. That's what repentance is. It's an opportunity to turn away from, from one direction to walk to another direction, which is towards Jesus. This is how we can renew our hearts. It's the humility of coming to Jesus and asking him for help and to admit that you have been wrong. And so Jesus is telling them to return back to how they once loved him passionately and to live out their faith and good work. And if you think about it, the fact that we have this opportunity to repent says a lot about Jesus. Just imagine if Jesus never gave us that opportunity to change or to turn away from our sins. We would still be dead in our transgressions. Just think about that. But the fact that we have been given chance and chance and chance, again, that speaks so highly about God's love and his grace and ultimately his faithfulness in us, even when we are unfaithful to him. And so Jesus, yeah, calls him out. And in verse 6, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicotians, which I also hate. To be honest, it seems like everything was flowing until this last part. I did not know what to do with this verse because <laughs> it seems like he's calling them out and then it's like, 
So to me, it sounds like Jesus is like, you know what, I'm going to, after calling you out, but I just want to let you know that we do have a common ground. You hate them, I hate them too, so we're good type of thing, right? If it's, to me, at least it feels that way. And so you might be wondering, what is the Nicolaitans, right? Um, to be honest, there's actually really not a lot about them, unfortunately. Uh, the Nicolaitans the movement is difficult to define. I'm just going to read from a summary of the, uh, of the uh, commentator uh, just to summarize what uh, is closely about. While we know next to nothing about their doctrine, we can be certain of their practices. The key is the practices linked with Balaam and Jezebel. The two sins found in both are idolatry and immorality. Therefore, it is likely that the twin problems were syncretism, trying to accommodate, accommodate the pagans by participating in practices like emperor worship and an antinomian type of libertinism, showing freedom from the law by doing what one wishes. And in my own commentary, it seems like it also happens in our culture today. And so to recap, God knows our busyness, and he sees our external hard work. And two, but he also sees our internal heart, and he knows our true motive and our heart and our, our passion, if it's there or if it's lacking. For the Ephesians, he calls them out and gave them an opportunity to repent so that they can be filled with passion and enthusiasm again. So all in all, what does this mean for us? I believe, after reading this and studying, that we are not left alone, that we have help and wisdom from the Holy Spirit, that God is not just leaving us hanging, but that he is there for us through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. So the third point is this, that God has given us the Spirit to direct our heart to the right place. So God knows our busyness, right? And he sees our true heart, and then third is that God has given us a spirit to direct us. So first heaven, whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. This exhortation is built on Jesus' call, if you remember, let the one who has an ear to hear, which functions as a prophetic warning to open one's mind and heart to the kingdom truth. So all in all, it is a call, call and strong emphasis on the responsibility of God's people, which is us, to open our ears. And ultimately, God is feeding us, and it is up to us whether we want to receive it for our own spiritual growth or not. We have that responsibility as believers to, to take care of our spiritual growth. And so when Jesus says to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God, this victorious is an athletic and military term that connotes superiority and victory over a vanished foe, enemy. So the ultimate victory is with God and God alone. And Jesus even says, right, in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have overcome, I have conquered the world. So here, what Jesus is saying is, uh, when Jesus is saying, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. The tree of life is Jesus himself which can also be explained as this, paraphrased as this, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. So all in all, our victory is a participation in his victory. And I just want to highlight that this is critical to realize that in the seven letters, the victory is a promise held out to all of them, even the weak churches of Sardis and Laodicea. 
So even the word churches, so God's promise isn't for those who have it all together or, or churches who are strong, but even to those churches who are struggling in their weakness, this promise goes out to them as well. And so as we're going to close, there are a few things that I want to say. The first thing is that Jesus never asked us to commit our time to our work more than to commit our time to him. In other words, our commitment to Jesus must be prioritized over our commitment to him. So it doesn't matter how hard we work or serve God, but if our heart is not right, we're not growing in our spiritual walk, nor is all, are our hearts aligned with God's heart. And so the same thing is for people in Ephesus. They were doing things, they end up doing things for the wrong reasons. And you know, as a Christian, you know what is one of the scariest things? As I was talking with Reverend Doug about this, we believe that one of the scariest things is going through the motion and getting the same results, getting the results that we want. It's going through the motion as in going through the, 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 the motion of working, working, serving, serving, adding stuff into our schedule until we're so busy and it's packed and still getting the results. It's scary because there, there are occasions when we keep working and yet do not feel exhausted for a long time. But just because we can last a long time more than other people doesn't mean it's actually a wise decision. And again, that is why it's, a, it's our responsibility as followers of Jesus to be aware and attentive to our own spiritual growth, right? To make sure that we are spiritually healthy. So yes, God created us for work, but he also created us to rest. And if you know, Sabbath is the protected time to spend with God and to be fueled by him so that we can live with the right heart and purpose, Sabbath is not a backup plan for when things fall apart. A couple of questions for you guys, for us to all reflect. Where are you currently at in your faith and spiritual growth? Right? In what ways have you seen growth in your spiritual walk with Jesus? What is stopping you from growing in your faith during this season of your life? And lastly, where has your wisdom been coming from? I think as followers, it's important to reflect over time here and there, to reflect upon these questions and, and to answer for ourselves, to, to have a spiritual check for ourselves. Because we can't change what we're, what we're not aware of. We can't change what we're not aware of. So in order to be aware of something, we need to be able to reflect. And so for those of you who are struggling in your faith, or you're feeling tired or burnt out, I just want to let you know that no matter how far you fall or how imperfect you are or, or the feeling that you're falling so far away, that Jesus is here to restore and to renew your hearts today, that he's not done with you yet. He wants us to be victorious. So whether you're feeling energized, tired or weary, or just so busy in general from your work um, at, church or at, in uh, at church or at work, may I encourage you to take a day off for God. I just want to share this quick story. Um, uh, last year, I went on this personal retreat with my wife, Lavelle. Uh, we went to Bowen Island to a place called Rivendell, which is a Christian retreat center. And, and all my life, I, I've never heard of the thing or, or even thought about the thing of personal retreat until I started dating her. She told me about her story. I'm like, oh, personal retreat is great. Uh, so thankful for my wife. Tell me some new idea. And let me tell you, it is actually so good to be away. We were away for, I think, four days and three nights. 
And let me tell you, that was a, one of the turning points of, in my spiritual walk. It actually felt so refreshing to just actually take my time, an hour, an hour and a half to read the Bible, to reflect, to meditate, to pray, and even to journal to the point where my hand was actually hurting, all right? And I had to take breaks. And it was just so, God, so good to just like take time, just spending time with God through that. And I felt so rested and revealed that I was ready to enter into ministry in September, which was last fall. But I'm telling you this because I think it's great that if all of us in here, each individually, that we can also take our own personal retreat. It doesn't have to be like four days, right? Like it can be even a day, a time for yourself with God. And and, and even to places like Rivendell, just a side note, I'm about to close, but just a side note, I felt like I just need to say this. Um, I really love the place. Uh, it was my second time going. Uh, the space, you have to book ahead of time, by the way, because it's so packed. And I think it's also by donation, minimum $50 a night. Uh, you got to book ahead of time, but it's a big share kitchen. So you bring your own food, share fridge, you can store whatever food, or if you want to go and eat, you can do that as well. Uh, there are places nearby, like five-minute drive away. Uh, and then you have a shelf to store everything. You have your own room and stuff, and, and it's great, all right? Uh, and if you, I want to encourage you guys, if you get, because it's something that's close by to here, just on Bowen Island, it's like 20-minute ferry ride, and you go there, and, and you have your break. Um, and, and I hope that you, you see that this is real, all right? That change is real. Like that, that spiritual growth and, 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 and spending time with Jesus was real, all right? Because I'm not even getting paid to talk about Rivendell, all right? I'm not getting paid by them, but I'm just sharing this knowledge with you because I care about you guys and I really think that it will benefit you guys for your own spiritual walk. So think about it. So I want to end up with this one of my favorite Bible verse today. It comes from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until, until completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So no matter how imperfect you are or we are, Jesus is not done with you. Jesus is not done with us. And Jesus is for us. Jesus for that is the reason why he came here to die on the cross for us so that we can have new life and have this relationship with him. So may you come to Jesus, may you find rest in his presence, and may your hearts be renewed by him so that your work and your service to him is driven by your love for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your love and your grace. And God, we thank you that you do see our hard work, that that we do want to serve you, but sometimes when we focus too much, we acknowledge that our heart and our passion drift away because we're focusing our attention and our priority in the wrong places. So thank you that in the midst of us falling short, that Jesus, that you are so gracious and loving, that you offer us the opportunity to repent, to turn away from our sins so that we can turn back towards you and to grow again. So thank you, Jesus, for your ultimate love, and may we be changed by you when we spend that time with you, God. And may you continue to help us to grow in our spiritual growth and our, in our maturity, Lord. So thank you for everything. Thank you that we get to come here to worship you. And thank you that we get to hear your message today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.